Sometimes I'll say to a person, I'll say, hey, you know, I want to invite you to church. And they'll go, wow, I've just been thinking about God and thinking about a church. You know, the Holy Spirit has a way of using us as ambassadors to people who need to hear in that moment. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Those of us familiar with the Bible are familiar with the translation of Emmanuel, which is uh, laid out in Matthew chapter 1, which we'll get to in a moment. But the real question for Israel at the time that the prophecy was given about Emmanuel was a question about their nation. It's really a question about faith. It's a question about trust. It's a question about whether or not you'll trust God. When he says something, when he makes a promise, will you build your life on it? Will you actually believe it and live it out? Faith is more than just intellectual agreement to a set of facts. Faith is lived out in everyday life. In fact, that's really the way that James says that we test true and false faith. James says, show me your faith by what you do. And of course, we know that we're saved by grace through faith, but we also know that it's impossible not to have our faith come out in our everyday life and our actions. And so Ahaz, King Ahaz, is the king that is uh, the king of Judah at this time. And the question really for Ahaz leading the nation of Judah at this time is will he trust God? And that's the question that's really been presented to every person who's ever lived, who's been able to hear the gospel, to uh, see that God is real, to see his invisible attributes by what's been made, to hear the story of the Messiah, and to ask the deepest questions. Will I believe the promises of God? Will I trust him for my life? Will I build my family? Will I build my decision-making upon him? Ahaz, sadly, was what we would call a double-souled man. He really had not made up his mind that he would trust God. In fact, as we peel back the layers of Ahaz's life, he hasn't trusted God at all. He's done the very opposite. He's looked to man. He's looked to idols to save his nation. And because of that, God is dealing one blow after the next against Ahaz. God is allowing all the enemies of Judah to pummel Judah, to beat them up, but they won't be completely destroyed. But God's trying to get Ahaz's attention. And Ahaz just simply won't listen. And his story is sadly a tragic one. Even though he comes from a godly line, he just wouldn't believe God. And your life, and this is something that maybe a, a modern person could just easily brush aside, but your life will be determined by what you believe and what you do with that. That's really going to be the story of not only your life here, but your life in the future, your life in eternity. Let's check out Isaiah 7, verse 1 to get the backdrop. Isaiah 7, 1. Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, Aram is another word for Syria, another name for Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but note this, but could not conquer it. Now the date is 735 B.C. Ahaz is the king 
of Judah. Ahaz has filled Jerusalem with idols. He has reinstated the worship of Molech, the disgusting god, that they burn babies in his arms as an offering to him. And though he is the uh, son or grandson of the great Uzziah, he is a wicked king. He is not following God. And the question is, why? A good contrast to uh, this particular man, Ahaz, is Isaiah himself. Go back to chapter 6, look at verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, so we know that Ahaz is uh, a descendant of Uzziah, who was a great king. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Now we know that in uh, John 12, 41, it says that Isaiah saw the glory of Christ. Because in the triune nature of God, really the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. And so just write that down, that in John 12, I think it's verse 41, it's the glory of Christ that Isaiah saw. And what makes the difference between an Isaiah and an Ahaz? Simply this, someone who sees the glory of Jesus Christ and decides that's enough for me to follow him. And a lot of people who, let's face it, sit in churches every Sunday may have not even made that most basic decision that they've seen the glory of Christ, that they've seen the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they say, I want that. There is nothing in this world comparable to the glory of God, the glory of Christ. I want to follow him. Whatever that means, wherever he sends me, I'm going to say, here I am, send me. I've gotten in touch with that glory. Ahaz somehow, in his darkness and his decision-making, did not open his life to that. He did not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And so he walked in darkness. And Jesus said, those who follow me will not walk in darkness. They will have the light of life. We'll talk about that more on Christmas Eve. Now, here's what's going on in the nation of Israel at this time. The nation is divided. Ten of the tribes have seceded to the north. And they are a separate nation called Israel. And there's a separate nation in the south in the area of Jerusalem called Judah. Two of the tribes have stayed true to the line of David and the life of David and the heart of David. And they are Judah and Benjamin. And Judah and Benjamin are ruled by different kings called the kings of Judah. They're down in the south of the nation. Up in the north of the nation is the nation of Israel. Israel and Judah are divided. In fact, as you read your Bible, you'll find more and more that they actually are at war with one another. They fight one another. They're two fighting nations. They're in a civil war, if you will. And Israel in the north, for all intents and purposes, has come, become completely corrupted. They've given themselves over to idolatry. Every king is a wicked king. They, they have idols everywhere. They don't follow the God of the Bible. Israel is just gone. They're, they're, they've just given themselves over. But Judah, there's a little spark of life in these two tribes in the south. And God has made a promise to the royal line of David. And so God is with them despite the good kings or the bad kings. God has made a promise to the line of David. And God is always true to his promises. And so this is what's going on. And there's a time of crisis. 
There is a rising power in the world of this time written about in secular history, and it's the power of Assyria. Assyria, the capital of Assyria is Nineveh, where Jonah was to go and preach. And they are a warmongering people. They, are, they, they, have, they, they have no mercy in war. They're trying to dominate the known world. And so they're, they're an enemy on the rise. And Judah and some of the nations in this area of the Middle East see these threatening forces coming. And so the capital of uh, city of Israel in the north is Samaria. And you have Judah, as I mentioned, down in the south. Let's read verse uh, 1 again. NIV, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, or Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel. Now you can see maybe a little bit more clearly who these enemies are. You have Syria just to the north of Israel, and you have Israel, and they are, notice it says, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So just to set the stage so you can see it, Israel, that northern nation, and Syria have joined forces, and they've set their sights on Judah to the south. And so Judah, with these two tribes and not much to fight with, are quaking in their boots because they hear that forces have been deployed with the target sites against Judah. And when the, you know, the, the forces of evil begin to rise against us, and when we see we're outgunned and outnumbered, we begin asking big questions. Like, what am I going to do? Who am I going to rely on? Who am I going to trust? And Israel's problem, or Judah's problem here more specifically, is oftentimes they would try to find ungodly alliances rather than trusting in the Lord. And as you guys read your Bible, you know how many victories did the Lord give Israel supernaturally when they were outgunned and outmanned time and time again. He would even pare down the numbers of armies and say, just you have too many people. Because you're going to get the glory for this unless you, you decrease your numbers, and they would, and God would give them the victory. And so once again, they're in this situation. God is with them, but the question is, are they with him? There's an evil king. He's the king of Assyria. His name is Tiglath-Pileser, and he is on the rise. And when it was reported, verse 2 to the house of David, that's Judah, or to the king of Judah, saying the Arameans, or Syria, have camped in Ephraim, that's the capital there of Israel. His heart, the king's heart, Ahaz, and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. When they heard these forces were deployed, just imagine if you heard that forces were deployed in Canada against the U.S. And just, let's just say that it was a, a, a serious, threatening force. Can you imagine what your household might look like, what your prayers might look like around the dinner table? I think they would take a new urgency, don't you? Times of war, times of difficulty, which the world has known for thousands of years, have really you know, called us to ask some big questions about who we trust. When the storm winds blow in your life, that's really when your faith is tested, right? When things are difficult, when things are bigger than you, when there's giants and rivers and red seas and impossible odds. Historians call this a dual threat to Judah, the Syro-Ephraimite alliance. And the people here, that the troops are deployed... 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... Is it proper for Christians to celebrate Christmas? The Christmas season can appear to be a conflict of messages, images, and sentiments. The Origins of Christmas DVD will address frequently asked questions such as, do we know Jesus' actual birth date? Did the early church celebrate the birthday of Jesus? Did Christians really steal Christmas from a pagan holiday? The Origins of Christmas DVD wraps up with a practical answer to one final question. Is it proper for Christians today to celebrate Christmas? And if so, how? Get your copy of the Origins of Christmas DVD today when you visit walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Thousands of years have really, you know, called us to ask some big questions about who we trust. When the storm winds blow in your life, that's really when your faith is tested, right? When things are difficult, when things are bigger than you, when there's giants and rivers and red seas and impossible odds. Historians call this uh, dual threat to Judah the Syro-Ephraimite alliance. And the people hear that the troops are deployed and they're shaking like trees shake in the wind. That's the picture. I want to show you a little bit more about Ahaz so you can see who he is. Turn to 2 Chronicles 28. So you're going to have to go back a good portion in your Bible, 2 Chronicles 28. Let's get the backstory for a second because I want you to see kind of what's going on with God dealing with King Ahaz. So this is 2 Chronicles 28, verse 1. 2 Chronicles 28, 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do right in the sight of the Lord as David his father had done. He was an ancestor from the line of David. Look at verse 2, 2 Chronicles 28. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel to the north. He also made molten images for the Baals. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in fire, sadly offered his offspring to the god Molech. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel, this is what God warned. I don't want you to repeat the detestable things that these people do. That's why I'm driving them out of the land. He sacrificed and burned incense on on the high places for, on the hills and under every green tree. Wherefore, the Lord God delivered him into the hand of the king of Aram. And they defeated him and carried away from him a great number of captives and brought them to Damascus, the capital of Syria. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who inflicted him with heavy casualties. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, that's the king of Israel, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Skip down to verse 16. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help. He had, he had Syria and Israel against him, so he sent to Assyria this rising evil world power. For again, the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and the Negev of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ihalan, Gedareth and Soko with its villages, Timnah with its villages, Gizmo, I mean Gimzo <laughs> with its villages. That was a joke. And they settled there. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, 
for he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. So Tiglath Pilneser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. He made this alliance with Assyria thinking, well, they're the world power of the day, so if I ally with him, then I'll be good. But instead of strengthening him, he afflicted him. Although Ahaz took a portion of the house of the Lord out of the uh, palace of the king and uh, of the princes and gave it to the king of Assyria, it did not help him. He couldn't even buy him off with that. Now, in the time of his distress, this same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and all Israel. Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, literally here out of the temple, he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. Now you can get a little taste, as you can see, of what this man was up to. In the time of pressure, back to Isaiah 7, he would not turn to the Lord. He was a pragmatist. He said, well, the other gods of the nations that seem to be doing well and beating me are helping them, so I'll, I'll burn incense to them. I'll, I'll, I'll try to ally myself with Assyria because they're stronger than Syria and Israel. But every time he went to help outside of God, God just gave him another defeat. And the world was against Ahaz. You ever felt that way? The world is against me. And can I break some news to you? It actually is. Oh, the world will applaud you when you're doing well for them. If you scratch their back, they might scratch yours. But it doesn't take long to go from a hero to a goat. I'm sure you've probably noticed the world is very fickle. They'll forget about you in a microsecond. They're going to be applauding you one moment and booing you the next. And Ahaz is trying everything. He's like that person in the water desperately trying to grab onto something to float. And every time he does, that thing has holes in it. Is that you? Have you tried everything but God? You're reaching for this, and this deflates. You're reaching for that, and that person disappoints you. And, and maybe it's because you're a little, let's, let's face it, there are some people that are just simply angry with God. They, they've had many blows come into their life. They don't understand things. Maybe they've even prayed, and it's hard sometimes to make sense of this broken, fallen world. People disappoint us. Situations disappoint us. And Ahaz is there. The people are shaking. They're looking to him, but he has not led the nation well. And so the Lord says to Isaiah, verse 3, Isaiah 7, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and your son Shear Jeshub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. So God now says to Isaiah the prophet, who said, here I am, Lord, send me. And by the way, Isaiah was told when he was commissioned by God, you'll keep preaching to the people, and just, this is what you need to know, Isaiah, and they're not going to listen to you. 
And you'll keep preaching and they won't listen. And you'll keep preaching and they won't listen. That's a tough gig. And so Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord and Ahaz is checking out the water supply and the Lord says, you go and you meet him. You go and you take your son and you meet him at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field, NIV. The washerman's field is a place where they clean clothes. They would trample them down in cold water and use a kind of soap there to wash the clothes. And Ahaz is in, in a watershed moment. Isaiah has brought one of his children whose name means a remnant will return. And the message is that Isaiah... Here's what's going to happen. Ahaz is not going to listen. But because of my promises to David and to the line of Judah, a remnant is going to return. Return from where? What's coming, folks? A Babylonian captivity. In fact, Assyria is going to take the northern kingdom in a matter of just a few years. It's going to be, I think, about 10 years, 10, 12, 13 years. And the northern kingdom is going to be totally decimated by Assyria And then in 586 B.C., a little bit down the road, Judah is going to be taken into captivity by Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. But a remnant will return. There's a symbolic son. He's been named for this purpose to show that even though the nation will be reeling from the circumstances, God will be faithful and a remnant will return to the land. Do you know that one sign that you can know that God is with Israel is the fact that they're still here? Think of all that that nation has been through, really from the very beginning. And they still exist, and they're, they're in the land today. In 1948, they returned to the land. Man, we're living in very interesting times. Their very existence is a sign. And so Ahaz is down checking out the water supply because enemies, if they could cut off your water supply, they could defeat you quite easily. And he's He's contemplating and thinking about what should I do and he's checking out the water supply and here comes a prophet. Have you ever noticed there are strategic times in your life, maybe when you have a heavy heart, maybe when you're asking some big questions, that the Lord will send a prophet, I'll put that in quotes, a witness for Christ. And someone will share the gospel with you and say, hey, God cares about you and loves you and I'm here to tell you. And sometimes we're a little blown away by that. How did you know? Sometimes I'll say to a person, I'll invite them, I'll say, hey, you know, I want to invite you to church. And they'll go, wow, I've just been thinking about God and thinking about a church. You know, the Holy Spirit has a way of using us as ambassadors to people who need to hear in that moment. Amen? Amen? Have you ever had that happen to you before? Where you're contemplating some big questions, all of a sudden a person shows up, I know that uh, when I got saved, Christians began to surround me. They were coming from everywhere, out of the woodwork, inviting me to church, saying, do you know Jesus? And I was like, they're coming from everywhere. There's too many of them. I finally yielded my life. Verse four. Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord to Ahaz says, Say to him, God's telling him what to say. Take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted because these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, the son of Remaliah, chill out, loose translation. (laughs) 
Be calm. Some of you just need to mark that during Christmas. I, I gotta be calm. Okay. And God pictures these two leaders deploying forces against Judah as things that you would just take out of a fire in your fireplace. They're just smoldering nothings. They may look like big trees, but they're nothing to God. Just be calm. Don't worry about them. Proverbs 24, 5 and 6 says, A wise man is strong and a man of knowledge increases power. For by wise guidance you will wage war. And in the abundance of counselors, there is safety or victory. Proverbs 24, 5 and 6. If you're at a crossroads moment in your life, maybe you're at a Christmas crossroads in your life, to put it that way, and you don't know what to do, make sure you're getting some godly counsel. And how do you know if the counsel is godly? See if it leads you back to God and His Word. Amen. Of course, the more you are in the Word of God, the more you'll be able to discern from bad counsel and good godly counsel. Well, today is Christmas Eve. Can you believe it? I want to thank you for listening to Walk in Truth during your travels and running to and fro doing some of that last-minute Christmas shopping, if you're like me. Please remember to visit our website, walkintruth.com, to get your copy of The Origins of Christmas, helping you learn how we came to celebrate the birth of Jesus in December. Well, tomorrow's the 25th, folks. So I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Many blessings to you and your family from us at Walk in Truth, from our family. Please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this teaching called Emmanuel, God with us. God bless you. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.